Tim Cass, thank you so much uh, for joining the podcast today. It's an honor. Uh, you and I go back probably about 20 years. Uh, I remember meeting you uh, when you were the head men's tennis coach at the University of New Mexico in Albuquerque. And I was just a lowly graduate assistant coach uh, at Boise State, uh, but was fortunate to uh, travel to your place with three or four players for a fall event. And you were very kind, very welcoming. And uh, I've been a big fan ever since. I want to welcome you to the show. Yeah, thanks, Renee. Uh, uh, back at you, a big fan of, of yours and uh, a big fan of the way that you are, are attacking life as a whole and, and the big picture you have on, on life and uh, uh, looking at it from a kind of a wide set of lenses. So it's uh, fun to visit with you today. Well, thank you. I, I always say, um, you know, I like, the I like to play at 30,000 feet, you know, so I need to surround myself with people who keep my feet on the ground. Uh, <laughs> timing is everything, but I, I tend to like to fly uh, up there pretty high. Uh, but I've always admired you, and I think one of, one of the reasons why uh, we wanted to bring you on the show as one of our first guests is your remarkable, mark, remarkable ability to make transitions. You know, like I mentioned earlier, when we first met, you were the head coach at University of New Mexico. Then you transitioned uh, into athletic administration, uh, essentially uh, growing into uh, a, a director and I believe a COO role. And, and now you're the general manager of the USTA national campus. And I've been down there and we've spent time together. It's an unbelievable facility uh, in Orlando. Uh, maybe you can tell us a little bit about the scope of your responsibilities currently before we segue into some of your early leadership experiences. Yeah, so so current current responsibilities are a fabulous project for the USTA to have a vision like this that really is out of the box. And, um, you know, out of the box and the USTA haven't always gone hand in hand. And, and I don't think uh, I say that somewhat tongue in cheek, but the last five years, if you think about what the USTA has bidden off in terms of the transformation of the National Tennis Center, Arthur Ashe uh, Stadium, and, and the, the whole uh, US Open experience, uh, and, and the whole transformation physically of, of that, and then also at the same exact time has said, hey, we're, we're going to build uh, something that's never been built before, a 100-court tennis facility in Orlando, Florida, where we have zero ties. Um, and, oh, by the way, we're going to move all of community tennis that was located in White Plains, New York, down to Orlando, which is about 125 uh, full-time employees. Uh, and we're going to move player development that was in, in Boca, Raton, Florida, up to make the national campus their new home, which is about 50 employees. And we're also gonna get out of uh, the concept of having remote employees in our business model. We're gonna take those 25% of our employees that were remote and we're gonna move them to Orlando. And then we need to now bring in another 50, probably full-time people, another 200 part-time people to run this business on a day-to-day on -day basis. And we're gonna basically, we're going to strengthen and grow our company, um, and we're going to integrate all these these folks together. It is is a bold, um, visionary a play in my terms, and and they wanted to do something transformational. I think uh, the campus is proving to do that. 
So it is now the home office for community tennis and much a shared service. It's a home base for player development, which you know is our, our training arm for those that are in the pathway of being professionals or current professionals. And so it's, it's our uh, training center year around for those men and women players and, and youth players. And, and then it's also really becoming the home of, of collegiate tennis in a lot of ways. 20% of what we do on campus for all divisions is collegiate tennis. Um, and and so, so that's cool. And then it's a business, a day-to-day -day business where we have local programming uh, and camps and lessons. And so 30% of our business is 30% of the court usage is camps, programming, and lessons. 30% of, uh, of another 30% of what we do is events and tournaments. We host 110 events a year, 250 event days all over the gamut from obviously youth tennis to wheelchair tennis to Down syndrome activities, uh, a lot of diversity uh, and inclusion events, uh, collegiate events. We, we, we mentioned adults. We got the 5.0 adult uh, national championships happening in our background right now. Um, and, and so that's, that's 30% of what we do. Collegiate is about 20% and player development activities about 20%. So to, to mix those models all in one place, there, there's nothing like it. In some ways, you know, a reaction that we've heard a lot is, you know, being in the entertainment capital down here the, in terms of Disney and uh, Universal and, and, and kind of what those theme parks and the mentality they have. A lot of people have called this sort of the, the Disney world of tennis, you know. You know so today out there uh, on 100 courts, we literally have 100 courts completely occupied right now. And so we've got the adult 5.0 leagues on both the clay courts and the hard courts. Player development is fully engaged with about 20 people practicing, you know, that are, that are some of our best players in the world. And then on the collegiate courts, we have UCF out practicing. We have other teams coming in here and practicing and, and preparing. And last week we had 12 collegiate teams in here playing. So it's just a, it's a, in some ways, a melting pot for our sport. It was built to share this facility and to grow the game of tennis and to, elevate and motivate uh, and, and lift up our sport. And, and it's, uh, we've only been open 22 months. We've learned lessons every single day uh, from the day the doors were open on January 2nd, two years ago. Um, so it's been, it's been a fun ride. What is it about leadership that attracted you, um, you know, just to the business? I mean, is there a specific uh, experience or influence from your early life that you find relevant that you come back to um, periodically in your role today? You know, that's a, that's a, a good question. And, you know, I, I look back and when I started and when you and I met at, at New Mexico and um, you, you talk about life being in the right place at the right time. I mean, I think uh, you could argue that luck is uh, part of a lot of successes and and i certainly would fit into that category that you know when i was 23 years old uh and my coach uh, david Getz had moved on to the university of minnesota and at that time the university of new mexico was in some financial troubles and 
David had left in September and school had already started. And, and so they were sort of desperate for a coach. Um, and, and the team itself, majority of the team had left. There was only three players on the team and school had already started. And so I was a recent graduate, didn't have any real job experience and candidly, uh, you know, thought the program was going to be cut and ended up interviewing for the job uh, on a Friday afternoon at four o'clock and was offered the job at six o'clock that same day. And I remember saying to myself, the only reason they're hiring me is because they can fire me in a year. Um, <laughs> and I was young, didn't have a family and um, you know, they were just going to kind of plug this gap for a year and finances were difficult and they're probably going to cut the program and I would be, it'd be easy to do. Why I mention that is, uh, as a former player there and having a wonderful experience, my, it was a fight. I wasn't going to let that happen. Um, and so, you know, my job turned into not being necessarily a tennis coach. My job turned into being, how do I engage the community? How do I raise dollars that we didn't have in our budget to, to support the, the program? How do I interact on campus? How do I uh, get our, our, our department involved and build relationships with our other head coaches? Candidly, how do I bring importance to a program that was, you know, probably at a time at a low point? Um, and so, you know, I had all hours in the day. You've gone through this in, in, in your life and I had no kids. And, and so, you know, this was my passion. And so I, I didn't focus on winning and losing as much as I focused on creating a, maybe a business model that, that could provide finances to support the program. And I would tell you that we were very fortunate to have a few really, you know, they're, they're great friends to me in life. And that's typically how this goes when you go out to, to seek support. Um, when you do it with your heart, then all of a sudden you build relationships. And, and, and part of that happened in my, my time. And so uh, we did raise some money and we, we were able to kind of prop up the program. And I think uh, by, by raising some dollars, it made it difficult for the University of New Mexico to say, hey, we're we're going to cut the program and then we were able to build build a program and get the community involved much like you know greg and you did at boise state way back then i mean there's a, i don't know if there's a better master at doing it than greg Patton. and you know when you get the community involved all of a sudden you know now the media gets involved and there's some momentum and so you know that that was probably the start at least of the way I approached my career. Um, I and probably all through my time, whether it was at New Mexico or moving to Texas A&M, even at A&M, while we had more resources, I still looked at it as a business. I still looked at it as, you know, how do we get the community involved? How do we bring the right events? Uh, you know, and, and trying to get the NCAA tournament was a big deal when I was at A&M and, and things like that, or how do I get our sport on television? Um, just, I, I tried to look at it a little bit broader. Again, probably how you've approached your, your career as well. There's not many people that, that, that are writing books and have come up through teaching or coaching or now doing uh, media or podcasts and just that there's, there's a, there's many ways that you can 
can the life takes you. And so for me, the, the business side mixed with with the the coaching side took me into administration. Um, and the administrative side, you know, for 10 years at the University of New Mexico, serving as a you know, chief operating officer, deputy athletic director, gave me wonderful experience in, in that role. And then when this opportunity came up uh, here, uh, was just a mixture, candidly, of being able to, to, to transform two passions, a, a professional life that had, had been... Uh, in administration and, and maybe some, some business business modeling through tennis. And then now I've got the, the biggest and best facility in the world that, that is something that we get to drive every day. Tim, as a leader, what's your definition of execution? How do you view, what does successful execution look like for you? Um, not only on a day-to-day basis, but when you look out three, five, seven years out, yeah, that's that's that too is a good question. You know, one of the things I think I've learned in this position um, is so this was a brand new business. You know, nothing. If I had stayed in college athletics as an example and, and went to be an athletic director, maybe someplace, well, there's 320 plus Division One schools. There's there, there's 320 templates you could look at. And, you know, I think good leaders often take uh, pieces of their different experiences and then try to implement them into wherever they may be. And uh, well, this didn't have necessarily something to model after. And that was intimidating. I I will tell you that. And we wrestled with, uh, should we do a strategic plan out of the gate? Um, Well, know that we were building 65 acre facility we didn't have a staff to run it and when I was brought on board was a year before the doors opened and had to go hire a staff train a staff and then then open the doors and by the way build the facility so I think it was smart from the board and and leadership to said you know let's hold off on a strategic plan because we don't know what we don't know and um, we'll, we'll, we've got so much to learn. And so one of the things I found myself using with our, our staff is, is just that, that we don't know, we don't know, but we're going to learn something each and every day. And, and it's up to us what we're going to do with that lesson. It, it's our choice. You, we can, we're going to be criticized. We're going we're gonna to trip. We're going to fall. We're going to make mistakes. And, and my leadership styles let's take that and let's embrace that because now we have that knowledge something that we didn't have the day before and how are we going to use that knowledge to make ourselves better and and so uh, what I have learned in this process I didn't realize I was as much a planner as I am Um, and so in terms of trying to answer the question about execution I feel like you have to have a plan in place to know what execution looks like. And so I'm not sure that, well, we didn't have a plan. We just finished a three-year strategic plan six months ago. Um, In theory, it doesn't go into full effect until 2019. But I would tell you that the process, that six-month process of building the plan with 250 employees was part of the plan. 
you know, building a plan is when it starts. And so we built it together and we now, now have a way to measure and to track uh, and to hopefully judge what success looks like in execution. Did I lose you? No, you're good. Thank you. And so, so we, we do, we, we, we are able to utilize this plan as a roadmap, if you will. And so uh, I think that's how we will judge execution. I, I know as a coach, I did that. It was a lot easier as a coach because, you know, in, in large part, it's yourself as a head coach. At one point in my career, I was lucky to even have an assistant coach. And, and at one point, maybe you had a, a manager, but, you know, so you didn't have a large staff and you had a, a relatively small team, 10 to 12 players. And, and so, you know, executing on a plan with that, I don't want to say was easier, but it certainly didn't require as many moving parts. Um, but I think having a plan and creating a roadmap allows you to execute. So you mentioned earlier, um, all of these folks coming from different places to one site which got me thinking, you know, what are some of your best practices for building that winning culture, for uniting everybody there at USTA National, making sure that everyone is, their energies are moving in the, in the right direction and sustaining that, that mindset of what can we learn today? How do we apply it? And just repeating that process every single day. Yeah, well, you know, I'm a big believer in communication. I think uh, it, it, while everybody probably would say that, I think it's it's the way that you do communicate and the ability to communicate and consistency in communication. Um, you know, so I think, and, it, and it's how you treat people. Um, Probably one of the best things we did, it's the first time I've ever done it in my career, we took everybody through Disney Institute training. And Disney, as you know, is located here in Orlando. Um, while it was customer service training, I would tell you it was customer, it was staff culture training as much as anything. And, and it, the first thing I learned going through that myself, and, and I've been you know in, in sports and um, since I was 23 years old. But the first thing I learned was that customer service starts with the staff. It's staff to staff. It's peer to peer uh, engagement, respect, uh, um, you know, a, a sharing of, of, of cultures. That's where it starts every single day. And so they really helped us. Uh, they really gave us a springboard. You know, 250 employees in one space is a lot of a lot of a lot of folks. And then also the fact that so many entities hadn't worked together before. And so now we're in one space and work together. So, to their credit, and that training brought our team together. Now, with that, there were some tactics that we learned, and we have something that we call "you served excellence." It's a it's a uh, it's how you recognize people that are that are achieving the service standards. So, our service standards are, are, are safety, friendliness, experience, and efficiency. And so, it's really fun to be able to when somebody goes above and beyond for any of those service standards: friendliness, safety, experience, efficiency. When you see it and you recognize it, 
you you write them up and you put it into you know this box and at the end of the month we have uh, what's called coffee chat with all employees it's a piece of our coffee chat and we recognize in a fun celebratory way them achieving on what are our service standards but truthfully it's our company culture our company culture is to live that on a daily basis and um, so that has been very rewarding and it's been very rewarding because of the number of employees um, and, and, and the, the fact that you know we have wonderful people that are passionate about their jobs that they're they're embracing this service culture which again is staff culture thanks for sharing that Tim the culture building piece is everything and that's so cool that you guys actually uh, engage with Disney to sort of jumpstart that process. I want to be respectful of your time. So I've got about three or four questions and, and want to segue to, to you a little bit more on a personal note, just in terms of when you think about success, what's your definition of success? And then even beyond that, what legacy uh, do you want to create? You know, not only as, as a business leader, but I know you're a family guy as well, you know, a, as a husband, as a dad, you know, what are those footprints that you want to leave behind on the sand? Yeah, well, I'm not sure if I'll answer this in the right order or not, but <laughs> you know, so, so I think success is personal, um, that, that the only real judge is your, your yourself. And, um, there, there's no measurement of doing X or making X that, that in my mind, uh, should give you any f more familiar fulfillment than any other. So, so from a success standpoint, we're all driven by different things. And um, the, the, what is important to me um, is people. And, and so in my life, whether I started having kids at a later age, I have a 16, 14 and, and nine year old, you know, and I'm, happily married and just celebrated 20th anniversary, my success would be, am I a good father and am I a good husband? I mean, that, that's, I think for all of us, uh, balance is tricky. I would not lie that I've, I continue to struggle with, with balance. Um, I'm passionate about work. I'm driven, you know, by, by the career piece. Um, and how do we balance that with our with our family piece? Is I think it's a challenge for all of us. It's a, it's a constant challenge. And so, um, you know, I don't I don't necessarily measure. If I were to measure success, I would want you to ask my children or my my wife of, of, of that. And you know, what I try not to say is no to my kids. Um, not no in terms of trying to discipline or give them direction, but when they ask you to do something, I try to say yes. Um, and, you know, I try to be there for them and I, I try to be a, a, a good husband as well. And I try to balance this thing called work. So talking about language, uh, what would be your least favorite word in the English dictionary and why? Well, I, I just used it in the wrong way, but my least favorite is no, um, because I, I much prefer uh, while no may be the ultimate answer, um, it's not the word that I want to hear from somebody, you know, first. Um, 
and, and so I really stress with my staff, we talk about that a little bit and <laughs> we talk about, you know, let's make sure we're listening. And before we react, let's digest and, and then let's act, you know, so, so sort of, you know, sort of listen, digest, react, and then act, um, you know, but because I'm much more subscribed to let's make everybody feel like their concept or idea is important and let's digest it enough to make sure we analyze it before we react to it and hopefully let's execute on it you know you know because lo logically most ideas there's some merit to them and so so no would be my least favorite word probably my most favorite word is is we and and um, that that we we can do it we can do this or you know in order to be successful it, it's it's everybody rowing the boat the same way and so to me that's a we concept the old there's no I in, in team right there's no I in team uh, coach I just saw coach Candrea uh, trying to join our conversation. Oh, <laughs> um, so what, what are some cool things that you have going on right now and where can people find you? Well, uh, USTANationalCampus.com is, is, uh, is our website. And so uh, that's where people can go for hopefully all the most up-to-date information about, you know, the campus in general or USTA.com for, for uh, USTA information. But uh well, uh, so nice visiting with you, and I'm, I'm excited about uh, all you're doing uh, for yourself, your family, and your career. And um, so, maybe we can uh, make this an annual experience. <laughs> I'd love to do it, and thanks for the kind words. And you know, there's a a quote that says, "Success leaves clues," right? So when I look when I look to you, I'm just looking for the clues, my man. Always <laughs> looking for the. <laughs> I'm doing the same through you. <laughs> Tim, thanks so much for your time. Thanks, Renee.